From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Yeah, well, a couple months prior, we just founded Impressio. And so we're, you know, just, it was just a mirror and I in a, in a very small office, uh, you know, sharing it. And we saw this invitation to say, hey, there's this, uh, this first and future competition. And there's also some, some, I say, grant funding, research funding to develop new technologies for, for helmet protection you know, and, and increased player safety. And so we were, we were lucky enough, you know, we got really kicked off in this. So we were invited to uh, do, the, do this pitch. It was like a Shark Tank style. Uh, pitch. It was in Minneapolis for uh, Super Bowl 52, the Eagles versus uh, the Pats. Yeah, it was, it was a great game. Um, and uh, I, w- I won't say who I was rooting for. Okay, even though I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, I don't know. I don't know if I had a dog in that fight. But uh, so we went out. We, we kind of pitched the technology, and it was really nice because they, they gave us the oversized check. I felt like we were, you know, season one of Silicon Valley. Got this, you know, uh, oversized fifty thousand dollar check. We really helped jumpstart our. Um, I say investigation or journey into, into helmet safety. That was Chris Ikaki. Chris is an associate professor at the University of Colorado Denver in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. He also serves as president and CTO of Impressio Inc., a startup company focused on commercializing liquid crystal elastomer technology, which was spun out of and licensed from the university. From an academic standpoint, his goal is to develop a world-class research group as part of the Smart Materials and Biomechanics Lab. One theme of the SMAP lab is to focus on the development and application of multifunctional smart materials with an emphasis on biomedical devices. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, Excited to have the conversation today. There's going to be a lot to cover. Um, I think we'll get into some of the work you're doing in sports, some of the work you're doing in materials. So right up my alley in terms of two things I love. Um, But as we get started here and kind of get into the conversation, do you want to just start with a little bit of background, kind of like maybe just start way at the beginning, like where you're you're from, like what got you interested in kind of the engineering track and, and what you're doing now? Oh wow! I mean, if you start from the from the very beginning, yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, York, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, like science and math, but uh, uh, I decided to go into engineering for those reasons. Found University of Colorado at Boulder, uh, loved it. Had a great undergrad. Uh, didn't want to get a job, so stuck around for graduate school. I think that's what uh, I would say a lot of graduate researchers did. But uh, you know, I stuck around uh, along the way in graduate school. I did find a, a pretty interesting path. I got into I say smart materials, smart polymers. Uh, at the time, it was shape memory, so uh, materials that could change their shape in response to some stimulus. And started a company with my advisor and a few other folks. It was a company at MedShape, and we were looking to use these shape memory materials, both polymers and alloys, for orthopedic devices. And so, at a at a grad school, it was kind of nice. Uh, kind of had a, <laughs> my own job lined up for me. Um, I was lucky enough to win it, win a few uh, SBIR grants to help pay my salary. Was there for five years in Atl- in Atlanta, uh, working for MedShape. Um, and then I would say somewhere around, yeah, 2011, decided that I might want to do the, the faculty track. Don't ask me why. I think you need to have a few uh, screws loose to become a faculty member, um, but was lucky enough to return to Colorado, uh, University of Colorado, Denver, in which I kind of switched fields a little bit, uh, still in, in the smart material, smart polymer space. But this time I was looking at liquid crystal elastomers and these materials 
I first got interested because they look like artificial muscles when heated and cooled, or maybe you would shine light on them or expose them to some environmental stimuli. Uh, they could, I'd say, either contract or extend, or they would have this repeated actuation uh, in the material built in. And then we found out that these materials do more than just, I'd say, move and, and change their shape, uh, but they're also really effective energy dissipators. And so uh, just when you pull them, they, they feel like silly putty, but they don't break into two. Eventually they have an elastic limit. Um, and so they, they, there's highly viscous, highly rate dependent, and they can be highly anisotropic as well. And so the interesting thing about that is, you know, within that polymer, we can make it directionally dependent. So in one direction, it could be more stiff, less compliant, and another one, uh, you know, have enhanced dissipation. To me, that got really excited because at first I was thinking artificial muscles, these things could, you know, contract and extend repeatedly. But then I was like, well, what about uh, artificial like cartilage tissue? <laughs> so he's calling it um, something like artificial tissues. And so uh, we, we kind of looked at how, how do we take this material and kind of how do I introduce that into new commercially realizable devices? And so uh, at, we started, I started another company, Impressio. And uh, kind of our mission is try to take this liquid crystal elastomer technology into the marketplace. And you know, how to do that, that, that can be tricky. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that, but we have uh, applications in orthopedics. Uh, we have applications in, in sports uh, and in the military. Uh, and we're looking at a few other areas. I don't know if I can touch on all the areas we're looking at, but anywhere where you might want to uh, dissipate energy uh, and energy can come in all shapes and, and sizes or forms, I should say, maybe not sizes, but, you know, uh, whether it be vibration, whether it be impacts, whether it be, uh, I think I can say uh, thermal, whether it be acoustics, you know, dissipate energy uh, and or mimic human tissues. That's where I get really excited trying to introduce this class of materials uh, to the world. Uh, I think that was a, a, a hopefully, uh, you know, professors can talk forever. So hopefully that was a very short background of, of me and how I, uh, how I got to where I'm at today. It's a good background if it leads to more questions, which I've got several. Right. <laughs> so, Perfect. So when you're you were in grad school, kind of, and and starting up with, I mean, you're in the middle of doing research, you're writing, you're writing papers. Like, how did you find the time to do the startup, or like, where what was the conversation like in terms of of getting your first kind of venture off the ground? <laughs> well, uh, my my dean Marty Dunn has has a great saying: if, if there's not enough hours in the day use the night. Okay. And so I think I've, I've given up nights and weekends for, uh, for a long, long time. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I'd say most Sundays and, uh, I'm working, but, uh, that's, that's, that's how I find the time. Just kind of, kind of make it up. Uh, let me, what was the second part of that question though? How did we maybe get that off the ground? Yeah. Um, and, and kind of what was like your drive to do the entrepreneurship path? I mean, it's not super common in the kind of, especially in the, the graduate school academic track to, to kind of be close to industry and doing a lot of the, the stuff other than research. So was there anything that like, Hey, you always wanted to start a company or be part of the startup kind of ecosystem environment? Yeah, no, um, it's a great question. And to me, it's a little paradoxical because a, a lot of faculty uh, you know, or researchers uh, tend to have good introverted traits, right? Where you can buckle down and, and, and really dive into the literature, right? Or, or just, you know, spend an entire day re reading up work or, or, or in the laboratory alone. And so you can, you can have this very introverted nature and, uh, and to be kind of isolated, if you will. Uh, but then at, at, at the same time, um, I would say a lot of, I'd say people who are drawn into research and, and, and even just academia, uh, don't like to be told what to do. They want to lead their own path, right? Now, that's one of the, the cool attractions of being a professor is 
I get to pick what I work on, right? There's no, there's no one telling me I have to research liquid crystal elastomers. And so in that regard, when, when you think of, of researchers, you get, you get to pick what you study, you get to pick what you, know, you want to dedicate your time towards and be kind of meaningful, impactful. That, and from that regard, you're very kind of close to being an entrepreneur. You're not, you're not being told what to do. You're trying to say, hey, I want to always push, push the bounds and do something that, that's, I'd say, novel, that's not just you know, the same. I mean, in publishing a paper, you can't just say, hey, three other people have shown this works. Uh, you need to say, "Hey, we're the first to show, right? We're, you know, we've advanced the field in, in these ways." And entrepreneurship, to me, is is, is the same way. Is you say, "Hey, we, we have this a new idea for a product, right? A new, a new technology, and we want to be the first to demonstrate that it actually uh, is worth something. Right? It's meaningful. It has value." And I guess I'll, maybe I'll probably talk about value. It's a, a bunch more today, um, uh, and that's tricky, right? Because in, in academia, sometimes it's. Uh, about what journals you publish in, uh, and that, that might, might be your validation. You know, oh, I made it in advanced materials or or nature or something, and and that's great. Like I, I did it. I I'm validated that my idea was good. Uh, and that's leadership a lot different. Like uh, they really don't care if you publish. Um, but I, I think kind of yeah, it stems it, it stems from a lot of researchers wanting to do their own thing, pick their own meaningful projects. And uh, to me, entrepreneurship is very similar to that. It's going to it's going to be time intensive, it's going to be a million questions. Uh, there's no one going to tell you the exact way to do it. Um, but yeah, you're just trying to push the boundaries and, and do something new. And there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, even like, let's take the example of the liquid crystal elastomers, right? So mm-hmm. can you, t- when you're kind of working on that space early on, I'm always curious about kind of like the origins of, of where that kind of technology came from. Was it something like, Hey, like, we've found in the lab that we can kind of make this stuff or it's adjacent to another material that we've seen yep. or shape memory or something like it could we do with elastomers or is it more like, Hey, like look at the way the body moves or a knee joint or something like there's multiple materials that have directionality that are soft and hard. Like, like the, the body is a good example of like all these different kind of meta materials. So like, was there like, was it a mix of like how that came together to, to, to push the field of, of liquid crystal elastomers forward or was it like hey like i got this idea it needs to happen uh i would love to say it was it was carefully crafted and it was well thought out and i always joke with my students after the fact like as expected this was the plan all along and i i'd love to be able to say oh yeah you know, i there's this huge need to you know for biomimicry and and we kind of discovered this new way. Uh, no, it was more of a stumbling into it. I mean, just, just to be perfectly honest, um, I you know I, I knew I liked materials that were unique that could do you know, have behaviors that just aren't common that aren't aren't, aren't commodity. And um, in the liquid crystal elastomer you know realm, you know a little different from the liquid crystals, but in the, in it, when you bind it into a polymer, it had been around. Like the science had been around. You know, they, they were kind of first predicted in the late seventies. And uh, there's a nice little joke in, in polymers is that when you invent a new polymer, uh, you're probably going to die before you make any money off it. <laughs> and so it's a kind of, a, historically, it takes a while. So I guess the good thing is, um, you know, I was, I was born in the 80s. So it, it, it had time to cultivate and, you know, build a little bit of uh, you know, this base to, uh, to the technology uh, before I came along. Uh, by no means that I invent liquid crystal elastomers. Um, but the materials had just been really hard to make right and so like synthesizing them was just really a pain just a long story a pain in the butt and 
So I think my contribution to the field was always uh, as a mechanical engineer. I'm not a chemist. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, actually, I would say I was, I'm okay in the lab, but I think any of my students or people that work in the lab would say, get out of the lab now, Timmy. Um, I found my skills have, have dropped considerably. No, but uh, uh, my contribution was, in, how do you make it accessible to folks in a lab that don't need an extensive background in in polymer chemistry or synthesis and to, to make these materials and be able to manipulate them and turn those into devices. And so I guess it was kind of good for me because, you know, the field had, had been around, there was at least literature showing um, that it had, I'd say, interesting dissipation characteristics. It had this kind of actuation characteristics. It could be anisotropic. And so uh, it was kind of nice that some of the groundwork was laid there, but the barrier was just, you know, I was always told, uh, you're a mechanical engineer, good luck making them. Right now, because that's that, that was kind of the consensus when I was telling people, yeah, I'm gonna work at CU Denver. I'm gonna try to start looking at the liquid crystal elastomers. It's just fascinating materials. Good luck. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's not the greatest uh, words of encouragement, but you know, we've kind of uh, overcome those challenges. And it was just really just along the way, since I had that background in orthopedic devices with MedShape, you know, I was looking at, uh, you know, some of my projects were soft tissue. Uh, either, uh, either fixation or, or reconstruction, whether it be like a rotator cuff tear, an ACL tear. So kind of looking at soft tissues quite a bit. And so that, that, uh, that was always kind of in my mind, you know, people tend to stay a little bit in their comfort bubble. So for me, orthopedics was my bubble. And um, looking at, at that material, it didn't take too long to be like, this thing really behaves, you know, not the actuation part was cool. Uh, and, and I'll be kind of blunt with this. I, I like to make fun of academics only because I'm an academic. Uh, the actuation's cool. You get great papers out of it, right? You get wonderful visuals and, and photographs. Uh, but that's sometimes hard to do, especially like changing temperatures 40 degrees and, and doing that quickly. And, and if you're going to do that in the body, there's, there's no way it's going to do it. But it had this passive mechanism of saying, hey, uh, we, I, I can be this really soft shock absorber. And the more I looked at it, the more I was like, kind of resembles either cartilage or the disc in your back. And I started putting the pieces together, you know, I say slowly, uh, <laughs> you know, started thinking, hey, this could actually be a really good fit. Uh, but yeah, I, I really wish I could say, oh yeah, I, I, I planned this out. It was, it was just a, a master okay. plan that's come to fruition. <laughs> and, and Not how, so much. How do you actually make them? Or like, what's the delivery mechanism to like, there's like a handful of ways to manipulate polymers, right? You can injection mold it, you can kind of compression mold and 3d print and and like extrude it um what what's the mechanism or like what's the raw form of of these materials is it like a two-phase thing is it kind of like a thermoset or more kind of thermoplastic type of material it's a great it's a great question and i'll, I'll try to yeah, answer it as, as succinctly as possible uh, i'd say a couple of years ago the answer would have been real simple it'd be mostly i'd say uh, you know casting and molding techniques and, it, and it's a thermoset uh, even though you could do some fancy, I'll say dynamic bonding, in which case some people say, is it really a thermoset now? But uh, ignoring that part, um, it, you know, a couple of years, I would say, hey, we can, we can mold these into any chemistry, whether it be really thin films um, or, you know, kind of say bulk parts, this thing, uh, something, just think like a big, I don't know, like, like <laughs> one of our demos was uh, the lacrosse ball, the LCE lacrosse ball. It was a rubber that didn't bounce. So it was kind of sad when you dropped it. Uh, but in additive manufacturing is, you know, an area that you, you know and love, um, you know, uh, it has been progressing and advancing quite a bit. So now we're kind of in this spot where we, we can do it with a, just a variety of techniques. Uh, we can make this material into foams. We can 3D print this material using uh, like direct ink writing or, or DLP SLA techniques. And, you know, we've even electrospun this material now. So again, kind of my contribution was how do I make it 
easy to make, right? How, how can I, how can we be makers, if you will? And so I, I think that, that was my contribution to the field. And that's where Impressio really comes in with our, I'd say, uh, uh, skill set and expertise is we don't want this material to be just pigeonholed or, or just limited to one single application or one form. We try to try to spend a lot of time marketing or, or figuring out, determining where we, what different markets we can put this material in and how might we manufacture it for those markets. So sometimes it might be really thin sheet form. Uh, sometimes it might be a, you know, a 3D printed custom you know, device of just the material. Uh, sometimes we just need to cast a bunch of parts. Uh, let's say for our, our helmet technology, we're casting a lot of, they look like pillars. They look like cylindrical pillars that absorb energy when impacted. And so it kind of just depends on it, but we're in a pretty interesting spot where yeah, manufacturing is, you know, that's, we want to be as flexible as possible um, to, to meet kind of really any application that comes up. So with Impressio, is it more of like, it's fundamentally a materials company, but you're also, you're making the material in some sense, but you're also figuring out applications or maybe partnering with companies that are, may have a need or are trying to search for, for com- companies or applications. Correct. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. And, and this is, I say the challenge, you're right. The challenge, if, if you want to start a company that is more of a, I say a material technology, a platform technology that you would like to license out. Um, the, the trick that still was different than biomedical devices was, you know, a biomedical device is very simple. Hey, what are you making? Like, oh, I'm making a, a suture anchor. And everyone can see the suture anchor and they can put their hands on it. And, and, and people understand, okay, you need to manufacture it, sell it to doctors, get simple. That's how you make, make your money. It's, very, it's a very clear path. Um, being kind of where we're at, I, I wanted to kind of be a little bit up the supply chain, if you will, like let's, let's supply material um, that could go into all, the, all those cool devices out there. The hard part about that is no one wants to be the first, right? <laughs> Not to say that. No, no one wants to say, hey, why don't we, uh, you know, as a manufacturer, let, let's bet on this new material technology that uh, you know, historically has been limited to just laboratories. And, you know, I say, you know, <laughs> geeks like myself in the lab, I'll say that. That's been historically difficult to make, that there's not a lot of data on. That, that's, it's hard to convince someone to say, hey, you, know, you want to try it. And we, if we haven't had, uh, say, we, we, we wouldn't have much success if we just sat back and said, you know, if we build it or if we make it, they will come, right? The good old Kevin Costner line. Um, but so, so we've kind of taken this role to say, well, we need to some kind of be a little bit of experts in, in some of these fields that we're targeting. Um, so like helmets, for example, God, we spent the, the last, uh, you know, oh gosh, just since probably 2018, you know, studying what actually makes a good helmet. What, what, what is the limiting factor between, I'd say just traditional foams in, the, in these materials that we could replace. And because if we just go to a, a helmet manufacturer and say, hey, we have this great material, they won't know how to use it because it hasn't been used before, right? If, if we gave them a new foam, just I'll, I'll pick on foams, um, just for example, you know, they're very familiar with it. So they would understand exactly how to test it, how to manufacture it, how it would insert into the helmet. But for us, we kind of want to kind of break away and say, this is just fundamentally different. Um, it's, especially maybe uh, if we're doing with the directionality, like all of a sudden now you can have a polymer that uh, it, it kind of has this alignment, just like cartilage and in, in your, your uh, uh, cartilage, collagen in your car- cartilage. Uh, it has this alignment. So now the, the properties in one direction will be different. Yeah. I don't know if they've ever made something like that before. So, and then when we start talking about liquid crystals and all the states they can be in and the processing, you know, they kind of, I'd say they, just manufacturers kind of want to see some demonstration proof of concept. So we do become, we try to become a little bit of uh, understanding and experts into the application we're going after. And then it makes it tricky because how do, how do we select which ones we want to go after? Like we can't do everything. Like, so we try to try to pick a few markets that are either high visibility, high value or co- combination of the two. 
So, and one of the so yeah, it's been tricky. Yeah. In that, I've had similar projects along those lines. And one of the challenges we always face is that finding the right person within an organization that understands enough of how the product is made, as well as the challenges that is also open-minded to new materials or new, some sort of manufacturing processes, super time consuming. <laughs> like it just takes forever with, within most organizations because it's, I struggle like it's, it's a little bit of lack of creativity um, or like just showing you, you need to really show the path of how it could get to one, one place from just a block of material on the desk to a finished product. Yeah, path. Oh, and then I, I think I said this earlier, path and value, right? You know, why, why can't you use, like for us, we'll always face, uh, not always, but we'll often face a, why can't I just use like silicone, right? It's an elastomer. Isn't that energy absorbing? Isn't that soft? Uh, and so kind of, you know, it, it, it explaining uh, that, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's not fundamentally like anything else. This is how it could work. And this is what would build that value compared to what you have right now. So I say value propositions and, and, and how you, how you might uh, you know, uh, realize that is, is tricky. I guess one thing when you say, how do you find the right people? I guess I was lucky enough. I'll, I'll give a plug to this program, uh, National Science Foundation. You know, I, I got to thank them. They, they've given me lots of grant money. Thank you. Thank you, NSF. Uh, but they introduced the program in their IIP, uh, Innovation and Industry Partnerships, a few years back called the ICOR. And I always like to call it like your mini business boot camp. Um, it, was, it was six weeks of... Uh, uh, a butt kicking, I'll say that, uh, where you had to interview a hundred customers uh, in, in a specific segment. So I think we went in, uh, me and uh, my co-founder, Amir Torbati, we went in and we had this idea that maybe we should use this for uh, knee replacements, right? And you don't need to have the, you know, your final idea done, but they want you to go in with some technology and an idea. Just, hey, what, what do you think this could go into? And then they, you spend six weeks kind of proving <laughs> maybe is this a good idea or not, right? And uh, it was rough because, you know, in, in six weeks, uh, I know you interview a lot of folks, but, you know, packing in a hundred interviews in, in six weeks is, is really time consuming. And of course I was an idiot to do it while I was teaching two classes and, and it, was, it, was, it was a terrible idea to do it, uh, you know, mid semester, but it really kind of taught you how to find the right person to talk to. Right. Um, maybe I said, I hope I didn't say that wrong. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, uh, yeah no, I, I, sorry. I had a brain fart. It's early in the morning help identify who is that right person in the, in the organization and, or how do you get to them, you know, quickly. So, and, and it gets you out of your bubble. Again, like I said, there's that introverted, you know, research bubble where you're like, Oh, I know the answer. Uh, I, I, I have a great idea, but really saying, okay, get out of your lab. And I think they, they harped on this, get out of the, get out of the building. It's what they, they harped on quite a bit uh, But get out and, and go, go talk to some folks and, you know, uh, and actually find out if your, your, your idea has, has any merit or, or can people be interested, but that's how I kind of, we, we kind of learned, uh, you know, kind of cut our teeth and got trained up on you know, figuring out value and figuring out the right people to talk to. And I imagine too, on, on that same front is like, because it's such a new material and you, I think you hinted at this a little bit is that kind of the standard testing that you would do or that people are used to seeing like may not apply or like they may require something different. So at the same time you're figuring out, okay, like how do we communicate the story in a way that seems credible and has whether it's standards or some testing behind it. So can you talk a little bit about like, how do you know that this is a good material or like uh, what are the things that people are looking for or that you want to show? Is it kind of thermal resistance? Is it, 
impact strength? Is it kind of rebound dissip- or kind of dissipation of energy? Like what are, what are some of the actual tests that, that you're doing in terms of kind of shaping the material or, or trying to create that story so that when you go to a certain market segment, you say, Hey, like we can reduce impact uh, outcomes and in, in X, Y, and Z. Like, are there certain things that like people are, are asking about or that you're trying to communicate? I wish I had a, a, a really, uh, say, simple script. Like, oh, we just run this one test and, and it's done. And, we're, and, it, it, and some people try to do that. So if I look at, um, let's say, data sheets for 3D printed elastomers, obviously that's, that's an area that, that we look into quite, quite a bit. Who, who, who's publishing, what, what's published on what data sheet, right, um, from, from current industry players and 3D printed elastomers? And maybe one common one, we'll see some common things, like what's the tensile strength, right? What's the tear strength? Uh, one could be maybe what's the resilience and <laughs> we got, uh, I love this little machine. We just bought, you know, it has this little mass and it bounces on, on the sample and, and you measure out how high it rebounds. Right. And um, the problem is that that's just such a limited part of the story, especially when, when we're talking helmets, because even like with the, there's so many variables, like even with the foam uh, you, you got to then say, well, what's the foam's density. Right. And then well, how, how big of the foam were you tested? And what did you drop on it? Was it something that was a little sharper or is it something that was like a, a flat, um, like a, more like a flat anvil or, or yeah, a flat impact head? Uh, and did, did you have a, a layer on top of it, right? So, in, 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 and we've noticed that and I'm picking on like impact type applications is that when we talk to manufacturers from, you know, whether it be bicycles to hockey, to football, to military, they all have very similar tests, but they're all slightly different, right? And so, it's really hard to go in and just say, oh, we have this you know, really great impact thing. Because then they'll say, well, how big was, it's always how big was the sample? What was the overall apparent density? You know, what were the conditions that it was uh, tested at? Like what was, what was the height that you dropped your mass from or what was the speed that it impacted? Um, and you could say, well, could you normalize that by energy? But even that's tricky because, you know, if it's a drop from a lower weight, but heavier, but, or drop from a higher weight, but lighter, maybe the energy could be, there's so many variables in telling that story. It's hard to craft that. So I, I, I'm going, as my physics teacher would say, I'm going uh, to Boston by way of China, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very just, there's a ton of variables and that's one of our challenges to try to do. So we're, we're trying to right now work on some, I'll say d- data sheets that can give you that really quick look and then also try to compare it to competitive materials under, let's say conditions that would be interesting for a given application, but it, it can be tricky. So in orthopedics, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to do a lot of wear testing. But you know, for a, a helmet manufacturer, they probably would not care about wear testing. You know, uh, yeah, uh, that's not one of their big things. So I, that, that's me dodging the question, saying a, a lot. Uh, and then really the answer is uh, it, it depends. And there's just a ton of variables, which it's, it's, I said that's the tricky part with, uh, with some new materials. I think it was just a device I could say, let me compare it to a competitor and here's, uh, here's our, our results. But it's, it's sometimes not that simple. And maybe grounding the conversation a little bit in terms of kind of a single product that you guys are working on. Can you share a little bit about the helmet challenge and what was it or what kind of is the challenge and and what are some of the things you guys are doing as part of that? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the NFL helmet challenge, and it's kind of part of a big, broad, uh, I'd say head health tech initiative uh, has been really great to us. So, you know, I have to say that. Um, back, uh, I don't have to say it, but uh, I will say it. Roger um, appreciates so it. So back, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, so back what in, in 2018, so uh, yeah, February 2018-ish, uh, we had just, you know, well, a couple months prior, we had just founded Impressio. 
And so we're, you know, just, it was just Amir and I in a, in a very small office, uh, you know, sharing it. And we saw this invitation to say, hey, there's this, uh, this first and future competition. And there's also some, some, I say, grant funding, research funding to develop new technologies for, for helmet protection you know, and, and increased player safety. And so we were, we were lucky enough, you know, we got really kicked off in this. So we were invited to uh, do, the, do this pitch. It was like a Shark Tank style. Uh, pitch. It was in Minneapolis for uh, Super Bowl 52, Eagles versus uh, the Pats. Yeah, it was a, it was a great game. Um, and uh, I, w- I won't say who I was rooting for. Okay. Even though I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, I don't know. I don't know if I had a dog in that fight. But uh, so we went out, we, we kind of pitched the technology, and it was really nice because they, they gave us the oversized check. I felt like we were, you know, season one of Silicon Valley, you got this, you know, uh, oversized $50,000 check. It really helped jumpstart our, um, I say, investigation or journey into, into helmet safety. And then we were lucky enough to get um, some more kind of funding on top of that through their head health initiatives. Uh, and then, um, you know, to, to develop our material, because there was a lot to learn. Uh, and so it's, I, I don't think anyone, I mean, I, I always applaud people who want to go in and try to dis- disrupt the market and shake things up, because that's, that's kind of what I want to do. But that can be tricky too, because we have to learn all about helmet safety and all the protocols and, and what goes into it and understand, you know, how they make the decisions to either design a helmet or to, you know, or to pass a helmet, whether it be from like a, a standardized test or not. Um, but about a, a year or so ago uh, in, in Youngstown, they, they decided, hey, we've been funding a lot of teams. Uh, we've been, you know, kind of really promoting new technologies to, to increase player safety. Why don't we make a big event out of it? And it was, it was kind of exciting, right? So you could, you could apply for some money. And you, you get a year to submit a prototype and you got to hit the very high or very or a high bar. So it's actually a low score. It's kind of one of those like golf scoring. Uh, you, they set a very high bar, but it's to achieve this very low score um, to basically create uh, the safest helmet ever designed. And not just by a little bit, not just like, oh, well, it's really hard to describe how this, this, this uh, metric is, but uh, and not, not just, hey, we're 5% better, but I, I kind of like to say it's more like, you know, 20 to 30 percent better right and, and that's maybe that number don't hold me to that number as an exact but you know a significant uh, uh leap and so um for, for us our, our approach and our team over the last year was hey how do we uh kind of marry our material being this liquid crystal material uh into a helmet design and do it in a, in a very efficient way that we can uh, that we could we could test we can iterate uh prototype and you know it's probably not a surprise to your listeners we decided hey Combining it with additive manufacturing might be the best way to go. <laughs> and so, uh, it, and this is something it's, it's fairly, I would say fairly common, but it's been generating a lot of buzz. Uh, I know there's 3D printed helmet designs out there. Some are concepts, some are on the market. Uh, we wanted to use 3D printing as an interesting delivery mechanism for our material. And so, uh, kind of the way we approached the challenge was we can uh, 3D print, I'd say, this liner component that could. Uh, conform to your head that can be tailored kind of in each specific region uh, very, very finely. And then at the same time, add our material to it, use that lattice or, or that structure as a not kind of holding mechanism or delivery mechanism to hold a, I'll say a pillar. That's what I said, like this pillar of our material. And so it's kind of a little bit of a composite. One, in one aspect, it's a 3D printed it's a liner structure, lattice foam, however you want to call that. Uh, and then we could insert our material into it. We wouldn't need to make the entire helmet and the ent- entire internals out of our materials. It would probably be prohibitively expensive, but this way we could uh, we could kind of realize designs iterate just super fast. And so, yeah, we yeah spent the last year doing that. We uh, we, we got this EOS P770 machine and uh, yeah cranked out. I, 
I don't know if I have an exact number. I know in one test location, we did over a thousand tests. Uh, I have boxes and boxes and tables and tables of, of 3D printer uh, liner components. I'm trying to pawn them off on my students. I'm teaching AM now. I'm like, hey, who wants some SLS parts? You know, And I, I was hoping they would steal them on and they haven't. So now I got to figure out what I want to do with the, with the old reject designs. But um, uh, so we submitted our prototype. The prototypes were due uh, see, about, about a month ago. Uh, maybe it was a little over a month ago. I, I, I lose track of time. And I can't really say what the results are. I, I kind of have, I have some insider information, but by the time this releases, I'm sure that the challenge results will be out. Um, but I can say uh, it, was, it was very hard. It was a very hard experience, but at the same time, it was, it was pretty rewarding. And, and we're happy, we're very happy with um, you know, what, what we designed and you know, how, how we performed. So when I say that, you know, we tested in our lab, we tested in some, uh, some collaborators labs as well. Um, you know, I think we designed again, the, the safest helmet, uh, ever out there, uh, getting it to be commercialized. That's going to be, you know, that's, that's problem number two, right? Pro you know, proving that your, your concept and your design works. That's, that's the step, step one, uh, getting it to the market step two. And, and yeah, that's what we're, we're trying to figure out now, but I think I can leave it at that. Let me know if I, I answered everything you wanted there. Yeah. So just digging into that a little bit. So you would take the, so you'd use the SLS process, which is a powder process with, was it with mm -hmm. nylon or with another elastomer to print the, the liner? Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, not, nylon would be good if it was a single impact. Don't we? like in that case, right. if it was a single impact hit, oh yeah, nylon would, would, would do wonderful. Um, but we, yeah, we were looking at 3d printed elastomers. So, okay. um, and, and this is kind of this kind of my, I said my area is this has been kind of elastomers as of late. So for on the EOS side, we were using a, a TPE 300. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, we also have our elastomer and, and we did our elastomer both cast and 3d printed. And, and we did 3d printing on, uh, I'll just say some desktop type SLA, SLA and DLP machines. Uh, and then, but you know, we, we kind of been surveying the whole uh, landscape of, of 3d printed elastomers. And so, um, they, they're tricky. Elastomers are tricky. I mean, making liquid crystal elastomers was hard enough. 3D printing, even just general elastomers are, are hard. Um, but yeah, yeah. Would there ever be a potential to put your liquid crystal elastomer into a powder or is it more, more like a resin style material? I see. Yeah, I know your research was back on SLS. So um, yeah, I, I, we have thought about that. If we could like do a little, uh, yeah, I think you, you did some cryo grinding back in the day and then uh, did some experimental materials on, on like a P1 or something. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't done it yet. Um, I don't think, I don't, not, not to say it can't be done. Sure. Uh, it's just, I think we get, we've gotten actually really excellent results from both the right ink writing and, and some of the, the SLA type stuff. So we haven't had that need yet, but um, it could probably be done. It's funny, I, you know, again, a couple of years ago, if you said, can you 3D print your material? I'm like, ah, it's this far away. And now we're just doing it you know, regular, regularly. So that's great. And so maybe shifting gears a little bit from kind of the Impressio side, can you talk about how 3d printing comes into your kind of day-to-day -day work at the university? And I mean, you mentioned some of your students kind of are, are working on 3d printing, like how does the, that kind of play into your, your research, your academic teaching and things like that? Yeah. And, and, kind of going back to like, how do you find the time, right? When you say, how do you find the time to, you know, be a researcher and start up a company? I think one of the tricks that um, I learned from my advisor, a guy, uh, Ken Gall, is uh, to really kind of align some of these efforts, right? And so, you know, if if I'm interested in, I say, 3D printing on one hand, 
you know, don't go do something and, and honestly, injection bowl, they go the other, right? Try to align some of these efforts. So, uh, so it, it kind of keeps you going along at least attract the way I'll say it that way. Um, it's kind of, it was kind of nice in the sense that, uh, you know, my, my students actually really helped push me to get into it. Um, I, I got to give my students some credit in the sense that I, I had a, a good crop of students. I think pretty much all of them have gone, gone now, but you know, I wasn't even really thinking the 3d printing, uh, again, about you say maybe like four or five years ago. And you know, we got a new Dean, Marty, Marty comes in and he was, he was very big on, on additive manufacturing. He was coming from Singapore university of, of tech and design. He's like, Hey, you, you know, kind of, kind of opened my eyes to it. Invited me out to Singapore. I got to see their facilities. Wow. That's really cool. On the other end, I had all these students like saying, Hey, can we buy these printers for the lab? And they're, you know, you know, kind of tinkering, building their, their own. And, uh, and so I kind of got pushed from both sides to, to do it. And so I, I kind of got excited, but I said, well, Hey, I don't want to be maybe teaching the same old classes. Why don't I develop a class on additive? And then that helps, you know, what I'm doing in my research. And then that kind of helps what I, I kind of know where, where, where the industry is heading or trending using Impressio, I can see what are some of the, you know, what are the, the challenges that we're facing? And then how can I bring that into the classroom and, and try to at least give some of those experiences to the students? Um, and I always love it in the beginning of, of, when, of teaching AM is, you know, I ask like, hey, when should you do 3D printing? When shouldn't you do 3D printing? Like, what are the limitations? And I, I love that first week's answers because they're just all over the map. And, you know, there's still that common misconception about prototyping and materials aren't strong and, you could, you could never, you know, actually do anything beyond just, I don't know, trinkets uh, with it. Uh, but the, bring in that experience from, no, this is what the industry said. This is, you know, companies we're working with, right? Um, and so, yeah, using kind of all my, I'll say, yeah, startup experience, using some of our industry collaborations and just trying to tie it all together and at least have it going down a, a singular kind of, not singular, but uh, along a, a single direction and not be too orthogonal to each other. Yeah, and I'm sure it's combining a lot of your kind of expertise and skill set where like you've got this materials company that you're working on, but then as a mechanical engineer, you have to think about mechanical systems and for sure design as well, like how you're designing for additive processes this entire time, even going back to the helmet, right? Like you can put in lattice, you can put in different structures, your multi-material composite system. So like there's a lot going on there mm-hmm. in that, that world. Yeah, and, and on top of that, I was you know if I got like super fundamental thing I like about you know say three D. Let's I'll go to the direct egg writing. Um, in my in our material systems, it's cool because I can control chain alignment, which I think is very you could say it's nano scaling or something. I think most people would agree with that. I can control liquid crystal alignment, which is more of a meso scale, more in that on that micron area. And then with the three D printing, I can I can control like a lattice structure that's more of a micro macro scale. And so. I mean, even from that, you know, just, just even within the material and the process, I can control three different length scales, which I'm like, that's cool. And how do I integrate that into a, a you know, a system, right? So yeah. a lot to be, re- a lot to be done. And so you built this really cool career in, in the space, kind of combining entrepreneurship, academic kind of research. Um, I mean, you deal with students on a day in and day out basis at undergrad and graduate level, like what... Um, as you see the added manufacturing industry evolve and kind of some of the companies popping up in kind of the Denver, Colorado area, which is huge in aerospace and things mm-hmm. like that, like what advice or like what kind of what skill sets do you kind of try to teach or instill or kind of um, help students kind of curate as they're kind of starting their career and building into 
kind of maybe working in a job in, in added manufacturing or trying to find a company or maybe start their own? Yeah, and it kind of goes back, I think I said earlier, probably talk about value, right? How, how do we talk about value? Um, I, I can give a, a shout out to, to, to John Hart. I, when I was on sabbatical, I, I did, you know, most professors go on sabbatical and have a great time. I was taking online courses and you know, I, I took, a, took John's additive manufacturing course. And, you know, I love value at scale, right? Is one of the things he, he promotes and harps on. And, it, and I want students to come around, not just knowing how to 3D print, because I don't want them to be, and, and this isn't bad. I, I don't want my engineering students to come out and only just run a 3D printer. I want them to make you know a business case to their management, why they should be either purchasing one or switching. And then also identifying when they shouldn't be you know 3D printing. So I think that's like my, my biggest goal. I mean, I, I love to teach them new skills. Um, the printing, I think I would say it sells itself. It's exciting enough. Um, and I have to thank really all the manufacturers who make uh, printers put out these wonderful promotional videos to talk about how they work. I'm like, oh man, you're doing my job for me. This is wonderful. Uh, but you know, so uh, I say teaching how the printer works, that, that's kind of easy. I like to uh, marry it with doing some design work. You know, engineers should be doing design. I'm a big fan. I'll give a shout out to, you know, Entopology. Uh, they were kind of one of our, our partners for the helmet challenge, but how to use that software because uh, I also teach, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll teach our intro to CAD and SolidWorks course. And, um, you know, that's the, your, your boundary representation files. That's, you know, your CAD files. Uh, I want to say you can't do optimizations and, and crazy lattice structures and generative design in CAD programs, but I really like the Entopology platform to doing it. I just find that I can be a lot more creative with it. So I want to teach them those skills. So when they go out and, and have an interview, they have a portfolio of designs that, Hopefully, an employer is like, "How the heck did you design that?" Like that's, that's kind of the, the, the response I would love. I, I would love that to happen, and then also they could at least come up with somewhat of a business case to say, "Hey, this is how we'd print it, and this is why it would make us some money, right?" Like this, this is why it's actually better than us either going to injection molding or or machining. And that's there's nothing wrong with those techniques. There's a, a time and a place, but uh, um, yeah, I, I want them to just be able to be credible because again. You know, we're not, we're not, all our students aren't going and working for, I'm trying to think of a company that exclusively 3D prints it, oh, working for desktop metals. Um, yeah, I had a student, Nick, uh, Nick's my PhD student. Uh, I won't say his last name, not to embarrass him, but yeah, he's working at desktop metals now. They can't all go and do that, right? And so, um, you know, if you're working for maybe a, a local company that's thinking about adopting it, I want, I want our engineers to be able to then make that business case because that'll make them more successful engineers. And yeah. Uh, hopefully help the industry as a whole too. Sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story today. Um, this podcast will drop around the same time that uh, the helmet challenge results come out. So fingers crossed for you. We're excited to see the, the results there and uh, we'll talk to you soon, hopefully in person one of these days. Great. Yeah. Hope to see you soon, man. All right. Thanks.